This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good morning. It's Monday. It's half term for lots of us, and we have never needed it more. I'm Tabitha McIntosh here in the breakfast slot for the next three weeks while Mal takes a well deserved break. And today I'm talking to Jasmine Lane and Daniel Bundred, stars of Edu Twitter's favorite mismatched buddy roommate sitcom about what US and UK education looks like from an ocean away. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. I'm going to play the uh, education news from Teachers Talk Radio's Gail Glenn in just a second, but first, in case she doesn't cover it, I wanted to say that my favorite headline of the morning um, that I'm still laughing at now is the one that is breaking news. The government is to focus on getting better teachers. Sorry, lads. They hate us. We're not good enough. They want better ones. Let's see what the real education news is. Maybe it'll be less grim and depressing. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. The Department for Education has released statistics showing that for 2019 to 2020, around 40% of 19-year-olds did not achieve a Level 3 qualification, either an advanced apprenticeship, a BTEC or an A-level. These figures illustrate that progress has stalled since 2013. This is happening at the same time as sectors with some of the highest job vacancies are experiencing some of the biggest drop-offs in participation in education training. Labour's Shadow Education Secretary, Kate Green, reacted to the figures by stating, Families are feeling the brunt of the Conservatives' failure to deliver the skills and training opportunities our country needs, with shelves left empty, petrol pumps running dry and the risk of Christmas chaos. Under the Conservatives, skills and vocational training have been overlooked and undervalued. Ministers must get serious and start matching rhetoric with reality. A Department for Education spokesperson said, We have put skills at the heart of our plans, making sure everyone has the opportunity to get the training and qualifications they need to get a good job. To support young people, we increased 16 to 19 funding for 2021 to 2022 by £291 million in addition to the £400 million awarded in the 2019 Spending Review. In 2020 to 2021, the funding available for employers to invest in apprenticeships remains at around £2.5 billion, double that spent in 2010 to 2011 in cash terms. The Sutton Trust has released the results of new research, which suggests significant gaps in progression and earnings following post-16 education. The report suggests that those who attend a sixth form institution were less likely to progress to higher education than those with similar disadvantages who attend a further education college. It also states that disadvantaged students are less likely to progress to higher education than their advantaged classmates, regardless of setting. The report also states that by 28, the earnings gap between further education students and their sixth form counterparts was 15% compared to 11% and calls for the reversal of underfunding for post-16 education and the extension of the National Tutoring Programme to post-16. 
the founder and chair of the Sutton Trust and chair of the Education Endowment Foundation, Sir Peter Lampe, said that disadvantage continues after the age of 16. Further education colleges play a vital role in providing a bridge between school and university or the workplace. It is crucial that colleges are well funded so they can give the best support they can, particularly in the wake of the pandemic. This has been your daily education news briefing. Please appreciate my heroic efforts in not laughing there. Um, Tom is asking, where are the better teachers coming from? The magic teacher tree. Uh, and Martin, who is Canadian, apparently came from a um, high stakes better teacher beanstalk that, that brings people across the Atlantic, which is a beautiful segue to our guest today, um, particularly Jasmine, who is a better teacher who has been brought in from America, filling that better teacher skills gap slash beans deficit. Uh, before I bring them on, a word from one of our sponsors. Uh, one of the sponsors of this show is Oxford University Press. If you need support with your phonics teaching, Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programs to help you. Read Write Incorporated Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. To find out more about these programs and receive support from your OUP expert local educational consultant, visit www.oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Once more, that's www.oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Right, people. <laughs> I have more more suggestions about where all these better teachers are coming from and why what we really need is a beans-rich curriculum. Yes, uh, we're redeploying Ofsted inspectors. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, Jasmine and Daniel, if you could work out the mechanics of both of you calling in at the same time. Ooh, there we go. Hello, both of you. Okay, Jasmine, speak so I know you're here. I'm here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and Daniel, are you here? I'm here. Fantastic. Right. So as far as I can tell, you were both up all of last night in some kind of sybaritic drinking frenzy with Daniel's mother. Is that correct? We weren't up all night with Daniel's mother. Um, <laughs> we were up all night with each other. We were up until 10 with Daniel's mother. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, my my first question then is um, perhaps you could explain to us all how you've ended up in this, as I keep calling it, comedy 80s sitcom <laughs> situation. You want to do that, Daniel? Because I still don't really get how it happened, but here we are. <laughs> Jasmine can't find another flat she likes in Hackney. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with all these magic beans teachers. The, the only way we can house them is putting them all in Daniel Bundred's flat in... <laughs> Me. <laughs> um, okay, and you don't have a kettle, Daniel. This has occasioned an awful lot of distress on um, <laughs> on edgy Twitter. We feel like you're letting the national side down. Uh, and your your argument yesterday was because it's clutter. Well, I have to make space for all of these teachers <laughs> and the beans, the storage of beans to grow more teachers. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to launch in with some questions. Uh, your first impressions of London, Jasmine. Me? And Daniel, your first impressions <clears throat> of seeing Jasmine have first impressions of London, if that makes <laughs> sense. Let's go with Jasmine first. Um, so it's, I mean, it's kind of interesting because basically wherever I walk, there's some history from some time ago. And like, that's interesting for me to see because like the buildings in Minneapolis, they're all pretty new. And if they are old, there may be like, maybe like a hundred years old. And then that it's, um, that is like, Ooh, like it's an older building, but things are here like hundreds of years ago and that's just every corner. Um, so it's like constantly being, I mean, I, I don't want to use the word inundated cause that has negative connotations, but just there's history everywhere. Um, and it's just, it's just kind of like, it's just the way that things are. Um, but then also, I mean, 
I think I, I told Daniel, I was like, wow, like there's so many black people around here. And that was when I first arrived in July. And then he was like, there really isn't. But it's like, I don't, I feel like I don't stick out racially for the first time uh-huh. in my life. Um, I mean, I do like when I speak because I'm American, but like that's the first time that I've ever like, it's just like, oh, I'm American here rather than like she's black. Um, I mean, it's both, but. Yeah, I think that's that's a very London phenomenon, right? I mean, like, so the kids I teach and work with, um, they, they've never been out to say zone nine where I live, at which point you'd have a very different experience, as, as you may have known from your, your slightly whistle stop tour. But yeah, fascinating. Yeah, and then um, the British Museum was interesting too. That was, uh. it's you know all of the it's like everything in here is stolen, and I don't even care. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, Daniel was with me because he he took me that day, um, and so he can comment on what it was like seeing me experience the British Museum for the first time. Yes, um, there was uh, many looks of astonishment and sort of jaw-dropping awe at the Rosetta Stone and, you know, obviously the uh, statue of, well, the section of the statue of Ramesses II mm. that gave Percy B. Shelley and the other one, Ozymandias. Mm-hmm. Plus that giant fist. It's... I think that's my favourite thing. It's <laughs> just so on the nose. It's really impressive. I mean, I think the biggest uh, museum in Minnesota is about one and a half square kilometres. And obviously the British Museum is about 30 square kilometres. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, um, like, the, sense of scale. the mummy of like Cleopatra is like just out on regular display in the British Museum. And I remember it was like a special exhibit when I was growing up at our museum. And it was like you had to pay extra to be able to see it. Mm. And here it was just freely available. Yeah, Stuff on so- tour. Yeah. <laughs> that's my um my, my favorite thing that ever went on tour story i think my mother may have actually gone to this one with them um, at the 64 to 65 world's fair they bought um the pieta on tour and they they the way they exhibited it in in i think it was coney island somewhere like that wherever the world's fair was that year new york was they they had it central but then everybody else was in a an, um, revolving walkway around it so, so you know, everyone going to the World's Fair would get onto the walkway and be taken in a circle carousel around the Pieta for a while until they had their fill of culture, at which point they could go and watch, you know, perpetual dancing and all the other fun things at the World's Fair. Um, did you go downstairs to the Africa galleries? I love it that they're downstairs. It just, you know, literalizing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> no, we actually, we, so we were there for, I don't know, like eight hours. I mean, we walked mm. maybe eight or nine miles and we, we didn't even, we maybe got like 2% of the museum. Um, and so we didn't, we hadn't gotten downstairs because I wanted to see Mesopotamia. Um, so we spent more time there. And then in that, what's that front room, Daniel? That's just like, here's a bunch of stuff. that's not really organized in any particular way. Is it called the Renaissance collection? Rooms one and two, the, um, uh, where the British Museum's original collection was where the reproduction of um, mm. uh, um, the Rosetta Stone is. But yeah, it, it, it's the random collection of classical artefacts. With the, oh, with yeah. The pots on the walls. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, right outside East Gallery, is it? Yeah, I think I think that sounds right. Yeah. But it was yeah. just like, here's this, here these, here's this really big room of a bunch of stuff. And just it's just here. Um, I mean, that was no, that was because I I came in July, remember, and then I went back to America, and then I came back and at the end of August, and so this was the end of August that we went. Yeah, I mean, I think that those particular galleries are testament to the almost the the very deranged nature of this hyper organized Enlightenment project of collection. Because when you walk into those, you're like, oh, you were just stealing anything you can get your hands on, right? It's like, oh, that's <laughs> nice. Anything <laughs> that looks good. <laughs> stuff. I heartily recommend um, that you go to the John Soane Museum um, in Lincoln's and Fields. Uh, he's, he's kind of hugely connected to all this stuff. And it's his house, and it's just full of stuff. Um, I would swear if, if I weren't a better broadcaster. Just literally everything for collections of whatever tourist tat he wanted from Napoleon's funeral and Nelson's funeral, but also mummies and, and Roman artifacts and everything just all shoved together. And then you walk across Lincoln's and Field and you can go to 
the um, Hunteria Museum, where John Hunter, the first royal surgeon, did the same thing with bodies. So, <laughs> so oh there's just collections of body parts <laughs> as well. It's a lovely introduction to the entirely irrational um, basis of the, the rational moment in the late 18th century, uh, which was not really what I was planning on talking to you about. I'm sorry about that. Uh, you said people walk fast in England. Let's take it back yeah. <laughs> when I first came and it's like I'm walking next to Daniel and I feel like I'm running. I'm just like, can you slow down? And like I'm trailing him, you know, three or four meters. And he's like, he's like walking like a snail. Um, and I'm like running. And I mean, he's not, he's, he's, you're maybe four or five inches taller than me. So it's not as if he's like, you know, six foot one or something. Um, but I felt like I had to run. And now I'm fine um, for the most part. And like yesterday, I was telling him because I went, I went along the Regent's Canal, and there's just people that are just like taking leisurely strolls. I'm like, get out of the way! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's outrageous. They, they shouldn't be allowed at all whatsoever. But the, what I always found, though, in when I moved to Minnesota for a year in the '90s, and I'd never spent a significant amount of time in America. We'd gone there for summer holidays. Um, was that no one in Minnesota knows how to just sit around and do nothing? It's always like. Let's go kayaking and canoeing and ice sculpting and snowshoeing. And it's like, what do you do with winter sports in the UK? It's like, we don't do winter sports. We just have a nice sit down. That's what we do. Uh, so, you know, we walk fast and then we sit hard. That's what I would say about the <laughs> United Kingdom. And we find a pub along the way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, much more fun than snowshoeing. Have you ever been snowshoeing? No, uh, I actually really I don't like the snow. I did when I was, you know, eight because you can play outside in your snowsuit and whatever. But no, I actually hate, I, it's hard for me to be in the cold because it makes my chest hurt. And then I start coughing. Um, small fact, I get cold-induced asthma, which I found out like four years ago because I was talking to my doctor in America, the doctor that I had, I had health insurance at the time. So, um, but I was like, yeah, like I, I always cough whenever it's cold outside. And she was like, that's not normal. And I was like, Really? And she was like, you should probably um, go to like a specialist. So I, I get asthma when it gets when I breathe in cold air. So, yeah. For for any of our listeners who don't understand how tragically unfortunate that is for Jasmine. I mean, like the average temperature in the winter in Minnesota is what, minus 20? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how did you live there for 29 whole years in the most hostile <clears throat> environment in the world? Um, you just do. It's just, you know, there's all these jokes. It's like, it's like, how do Minnesotans survive the winter? And it's, um, it's like, we just, we put on our suits. We, I, we chip the ice off our screens as we make our way to the super target down the street. <laughs> <laughs> On the Mall of America. Uh, so um, you've, you've now been managing Key Stage 3 and teaching in England for seven weeks. Right. Yeah. What What is different? What's your first impressions? What What are we doing well? What are we doing wrong? Tell me everything. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I just need to, for anyone that's listening, I'm obviously not going to say anything negative about my school because everyone knows where I work because that's just it's how it happened. Um, <laughs> normally, I, I usually like to remain pretty anonymous, but then my uh, your senior leadership team will start tweeting. About yeah, you. he said we're getting Jasmine at Skinner's, and I was like, oh, okay, all right. That was close. But no, I mean, I actually I was kind of concerned about like how different my timetable was every day because um, it was like today I'll see these classes and I'll have them in this these hours like I don't see year eight at the same period right. day if we if we back up from that like most of the the literature teachers I know in the United States teach say 12th grade and that is all they do all day mm -hmm. they teach 12th grade they don't teach across the curriculum I mean the you know the year groups and and yeah it's exactly the same thing every day day in day out Look at you with yeah. your London background sounds. Um, so, so that completely freaked you out to start with. I mean, I felt like I like I couldn't get my head around it because I was also on cover too. So I was like, I need to just sit down with my timetable and figure out what's going on. But I can't because I'm on cover now. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I was like, I was talking to Daniel when it was happening, and I was just like, I'm like, I can't keep up. Like, I can't catch up. <laughs> I'm fine now because like you do get used to it and you find a, a pattern, but like that was, if I had been like a, an NQT with like a fuller timetable, 
you know, because I have a reduced timetable because I'm the key stage three leader. Like, if, mm-hmm. if I'm thinking of like how difficult that is, it was difficult for me, who's already been teaching for a couple of years. I can't imagine having to do that, like you know, four or five classes in a day, no PPA, just going, going, going. Um, so I mean, that's something hey, that I... get their PPA protected typically. Uh, um, yes. yeah. okay. more, more time to read their timetables and weep over them like, uh, <laughs> I think. it helps if you have a classroom that you teach from of course then you're just sort of being battered with waves of confusion but yeah if you're moving around the school um I think every single one of my lessons is in a different classroom some of them unspeakably cruelly in the humanities block instead of the English department um yeah it it took me a while and I only teach three days a week um, mm-hmm. and covering different subjects too so presumably you weren't just covering English? No, I've done a French lesson. I've done a Spanish. I've done a few French lessons, done a couple Spanish lessons. I've done some maths and I've done like two English lessons <laughs> 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 for years that I don't even teach. So I'm like, good thing that I read this terrible play. Uh, <laughs> we all know the one I'm talking about. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. This is, yeah, Daniel, can you can you explain? Because you kind of live tweeted your reaction to Jasmine's reaction to Anne and Spectacles, which was one of my funniest moments of the summer. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Well, um, yeah, uh, Anne and Spectacles. It's really difficult to explain Anne and Spectacles to, um, uh, to British people, how it looks to people who aren't British, um, because it's genuinely... Not a great play. I mean, if we start with a, um, <laughs> if we start with a moment, great emotional poignancy. But just remember this: when Eva Smith was gone, but there are millions and millions and millions of Eva Smiths and John Smiths still left with us, with their lives, their hopes and fears, their suffering and chance of happiness, all intertwined with our lives and what we think and say and do. We don't live alone. We are members of one body. We are responsible for each other. And I tell you that the time soon will come when if men will not learn that lesson, then they will be taught it in fire and blood and anguish. Good night. He walks straight out, leaving them staring subdued, wondering. Sheila is still quietly crying. Mrs. Burling has collapsed into a chair. Eric is brooding desperately, etc., etc., etc. Okay, I'm pretty uh, sure. Did you do that from your memory, Daniel? By that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know that from memory. Your <laughs> accent went from vaguely northern to distinctly Scottish by the end of that. And, um, I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's just an idea. That's what. Uh, that's half of what we do during the day is just like <laughs> <laughs> reciting poetry and reciting things from plays. <laughs> So, Our relationship you, is mostly based on shitting on the spectacles. Yeah. <laughs> no swearing. <laughs> so, um, so, so uh, you didn't find that convincing, then, Jasmine? You didn't think it was oh, that play is terrible. It's just like <laughs> it's just like, it's ooh, like oh, he said it. He said it. He's in spectacle, yeah. right? Like that's not clever. It's just clumsy. Yeah, I know it when it's uh, so I think Ed, obvious. And then Edna the maid has the titular line basically, please, sir, an inspector's call. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Maybe he was our inspector. He inspected <laughs> us. The real inspector That's was the friend. Right. <laughs> yeah, but also like the stage directions, like oh. what is it? Desperately, the... unconvincingly, <laughs> subtly. <laughs> What's that one where it's just like everyone's Moderately or something? No, no, it's massively. 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 Intervenes massively. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a completely deranged concept. And it says he's not a particularly large man. He's he's a small man, but with a massiveness to him, which I'm not sure how you call it. He talks loud. (laughs) Strong on stage, talk loud. You certainly With did a, a fantastic job. northern accent. <laughs> <laughs> so why do you think we all study in spectacles? Well, I mean, and we do. It's generations of I kids mean, at this point. I, it's, I think it's because there's lots of resources on it and it's mm. short. Yeah. Like, I get it because, like, you, you do need to know the play inside and out for your GCSEs. But the play is not that difficult. Like, at a certain point, you run out of stuff to say. 
yeah, and that's that's why we choose it. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's why you're saying that like that's a bad thing. That's that's the selling point, you know. Like, we can I get also every kid. It's plays that are difficult to get nines in. Um, when mm. and a lot of the modern text choices are like this, which uh, it's very difficult to say something particularly clever about in spectacles because there's nothing particularly clever to say. Like I'm teaching it at the moment, and I've already taught it really, so I've got yeah. weeks in which to invent contextual links for an inspector. <laughs> <laughs> to make my I... student sounds more and more tenuous as they pursue AO1 and AO3. Uh, do you know, my, my favourite genre of um, mad teachers online is is um, English teachers coming up with clever things to say about an Inspector Cool specifically. And I think my favourite is the meaning of names discourse. So there's Inspector Cool. Cool sounds like ghost. What do you yes. think that means? That one's straightforward like enough. I can get on board with the ghoul, but when it gets to, it's also a fishing village in the north of England, and he's <laughs> fishing for information. Oh, oh my God. No. <laughs> Arthur Burling is called Arthur, for he represents traditional Britishness. Like, no, no. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I did a cover that. lesson with that play, and I was like, if you have questions, I've, I've read the play, so I can, you know, but they didn't. Because it's an expected call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, well, I I'm think... going gonna, gonna to subtweet the person that I was talking to on Twitter. was like, it's actually deep and subtle and understated. And I'm like, where? Oh, mate. <laughs> subtle and understated is... I'm like, it's many things, but it's not of that. This play, <laughs> it beats you over the head with everything. I think the other thing that's that's so astonishing, probably even more so if you if you were an American coming to it, is how overtly socialist it is um and astonishingly still taught in the curriculum in this kind of clonky way yeah yeah i can't imagine school boards across the country enjoying that um daniel you often make really interesting points about you know we have this stuff about diversifying the curriculum and what daniel pointed out to me and i feel like not enough people mention this is that actually the text choices for key stage four from all the exam boards do have text by mm -hmm. authors who aren't white by a range of voices um i didn't even realize that we could potentially be teaching some of the texts we're teaching but until we stop teaching an inspector calls we are <laughs> never going to diversify the curriculum ever honestly yeah it's yes there's um there's this sort of every few years english teachers push to have more diverse voices added as gcse text choices um and it's a completely pointless campaign because as long as an inspector calls is there, they'll still teach an inspector calls. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. On, on AQA, they could be teaching Kazuo Ishiguro and Mirasile. Um, and they're not. They're teaching an inspector calls. Mm. So, it's like teach the non white people that we have first before you say that you need more. Yeah, like yes. you could put infinite, <laughs> infinite black and Asian authors into the curriculum and we'd still teach Priestley at the end. It just, yeah. that would never change. Yeah. Can you imagine the discord? Yeah, 100% white on um, Key Stage 4. It's like, well, I mean, 100% white uh, with discounting the poetry unit. You could become 33% BAME with a single choice to teach something <laughs> other than spectacles. <laughs> you know, they're just going to have to rip it out of our shaky, desperate hands eventually. And can you imagine, Absolutely. remember the... Absolutely, we have to do the of mice and men, yeah. Exactly, there will be the, oh my God, they've taken of mice and men away, kind of like public bewailing in the street where every person who's studied of mice and men, Moomin saying he read it at GCSE in 1993, his son read it in 2020, he's sure his grandkids were reading it in 2041. The entire nation would collectively rage about the withdrawal all of spectacles, it would be spectacular. And my cement has the same problem, which is mm. it's not very good. Um, we're all meant to be completely wedded, totally convinced that this is, you know, to use the um, uh, the Arnold phrase, the best that has been thought and said. Uh, and it's not the best play of its own year of publication. Seriously, yeah, I, do, I often do that with of mice and men. I just go, well, here's some other books published that year. Really, really of mice and men. No, my mother, who is in the background, is an of mice and men partisan. Having she basically got Stockholm syndrome, she taught it for twenty years. So she's like, you can do really good things with the adverbs. I'm sure you can, but other books have adverbs, people. <laughs> 
she's she's disagreeing <clears throat> with me in the background. Um, what else about teaching in the in England? Because I get the impression that countries that don't have six week half terms have a very different feel of pace to them because we all teach the same number of weeks in a year, but mm -hmm. somehow British schools we've got that run through six or seven weeks with you know multiple assessments and marking built into it and our whole bodies and psychology and teaching schedule is paced to these bursts of six or seven weeks but am I imagining that is that no that's real um like I was I was just uh, a couple of weeks ago I was talking to Daniel when I got home I was like I'm just so tired and like I went to I took a nap and I slept for like 14 hours and I woke up the next day and I was still tired mm. like, I just felt like I couldn't catch up um, but then now like I get a week off and like, that's, it's, it's the, the pace is different and you kind of just sprint for your six weeks and then you get a week off. But like in American schools, you pretty much just, you go at a moderate pace for like nine months. So it's like, and then you get three months off. So, I mean, I, I actually prefer this model better because it, it passes the time faster. Uh, <laughs> that is certainly one way of putting it. I, mean, I think I, I, that, I agree. That sounds bad yeah. it sounds like I don't like being in school. No, but like it, it's faster. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, and like it, it took it took a little bit of getting used to just because it's like I'm moving here and I'm moving here and it's just like I gotta get a different booklet, gotta get this out, gotta get this out. Like I'm just constantly, I'm constantly moving. Um, and some days like you know I'm on cover for both my PPAs or something. Um, whereas before in my old school that wouldn't have happened. Um, you know you just you have your ninety minutes every single day, every single day, and you have your three classes that you teach. Like that's what my my first year teaching. That's what my schedule was top three classes one was yeah. 10th grade one was 12th grade and then I had 90 minutes to plan every day and no wow. duties and then and no um I mean I know there is there is external testing in the you know, I can't remember what it's called all that no child left behind stuff that came in so you do have external yeah, and that's like that's two or three days in the spring um mm. where they just sit on their computers for three days and then that's it like it there's no anything around it um Discover that thirty percent of the kids can't read and go. Right, fair enough. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just I was just reading about the Virginia election and um and it's turning into a fight about education. But one of the things they said was, and this was from twenty nineteen, so the last school year, um, <clears throat> only thirty eight percent of eighth graders um passed the maths test that year. Um, yeah, sounds right. Um, me and Daniel were talking. Did I don't know if you saw it, but like the American teacher who was like, "Why are you saying so many bad things about American schools? This hurts." I'm like, I'm like, are you really gonna sit here and say that American schools are amazing? Like, stop lying to yourself. <clears throat> on the map, she tweeted this map with um, a bunch of color codes for literacy rates at reading at eighth grade level, and she's yeah. like, "What do you notice about this map?" And it's like. There isn't a colour for under 10% of children yeah. functionally illiterate. Yeah. So wow. like Minnesota is 10, it's like 15, between 10 and 15% illiterate. And then in, the, in Mississippi, it was like 30% of like adults are like functionally illiterate, like below like uh, 11 years old of reading age. And then she's like, what do you notice? And then I'm like, I'm like, what do you notice? What do you wonder? And I'm like, I don't want to play guess what's in the teacher's head. Can you just teach me? <laughs> <laughs> no discovery learning. Also, 10% is not a good number. That's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, it, but here it's, it's a pretty much complete antithesis of the American system in that within every school and then externally, we have this, you know, endless data moderated testing and assessment and assessment and assessment that um, I mean, I'm, I know some centers are less rigorous than others, but I'm pretty sure all of us try as hard as we can to be generating this and the marking for it and stuff. Do you think we go too far in that direction? I think um, that can happen. Um, again, this, this is not about my school. I'm just thinking, I think in, if you're thinking of like, okay, the, the GCSE is the end goal, then you can just start, doing things that aren't really helpful for developing like yeah. skill as a, as a literature student. Um, so I know like we've, you've said before, like how everything you do at key stage four has to be unlearned for key stage five. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm seeing that cause I'm just like, you do different things at key stage four than you do at key stage five. So I think that that can be, that's a flaw of the system, but also like, at least there is something there. Um, cause like there's just, there's no way to know anything in America. It's just, you know, it's, I my kids have an A because they made a Spotify playlist to talk about symbolism in the kite runner. Like that's that's what's going on. Um, 
So it's like those. Yeah, I know my I know my income level students will typically write terribly, but I do know that they can read and write. Yeah. yeah, but and you and you know you know the kinds of tasks they've been trained to do. You know that they'll do P, they'll churn out PE paragraphs or something. Mm-hmm. They have a a very specific skill set. Petal, petal. Yeah, oh, yeah. Petal, the new one that we saw. Squice. Yeah. <laughs> I hate petal, acronyms. Yes. <laughs> yeah, when I am, um, and, and this is something I know that that British people have no understanding of. There is no moderation. There is no agreement about what constitutes a grade in almost any stage of U.S. education. So when I, I mean, I was a grad student at the University of Pennsylvania. I started teaching undergraduates as part of you know the grad student program, and I'd done the same thing in Aberdeen, and I had to moderate my work. Did my version of a first look like everybody else's version of a first? We all agreed. What were the criteria? Here's the rubric. Da da da. Got to got to America, University of Pennsylvania. I said, right. So what's an A then? And they're like, oh, whatever you think. Just literally, whatever you think. Feels what like does it feel a. like to you? Feels like what, what, what? Does my A feel like your A? I don't. Yeah. I'm just mad. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I had um, a 12th grade student my first year. They complained to my principal that I had them write in a, f- a five paragraph essay. They were like, her class is harder than the other ones, and I was like, and he took their side. <clears throat> like they they were 18 year olds complaining that they had to write in english uh-huh yeah and i was like this is such an easy essay i'm like it's just talk about the kite the symbolism of the kite that's the whole book the book's yeah, well, not that complicated <laughs> when you look at rate my professor which um is always a, a car crash of epic proportions that most of the ratings seem to be based on made me write an essay made me do a term <clears> paper <throat> you know like, yeah, yeah as opposed to let me make a kite kind of thing <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah jasmine you you i think you've been on a really interesting trajectory with um some of the schisms in british education um and i think lots of people have a habit of assuming you belong to their particular kind of fight group um, yeah the whole trad prog thing i you write a wonderful blog about basically like i don't belong to any of you <laughs> you, you think that, that you own me in my opinions but actually and that goes for all of you um could you speak a bit more about that um i just i mean this has been my thing i since since i became a teacher it was just everyone tries to put put you into a box it's just like she believes this about instruction so it must follow that she believes all these other things or she says this about like social justice and education therefore she must be against these other things and i'm like no you can do them all um both matter <clears throat> like one of the a, a few people in um like American uh, reform. And he was like, he was like, uh, ac- he's like academic rigor uh, is more important than diversity or mm. something. And I was like, why do you think that they're not this, like, why, why are they like mutually exclusive? Um, and then like what people would think is that I would agree with that. Like I'd see that tweet and I'd like retweet it. And I'm like, no, because it assumes that you can't have them both. And that's a lie. Right. It seems that I think I, I saw you respond to that tweet. The assumption that to to look at, say, I think the example you used was Toni Morrison is to look at less academically rigorous literature is just profoundly offensive and, and wrong on the face of it. Just makes yeah. no sense. I mean, none of them read anyway. So that's yeah. why it's just like <laughs> you don't think that black people have good books because you don't read anything. You don't even read Jane Eyre, so I mean, you're you're kind of slacking slacking behind on your uh, cultural capital, isn't it? <laughs> More important to make McDonald's manuals about imparting cultural capital than to actually get some <laughs> yourself. I feel. Yeah, the <laughs> the newest uh, version of the McDonald's manual is interesting. Everything I keep seeing from it, I've already seen before because, um, again, I used to work for him. Um, so now people know. I, I never really talk about it publicly, but people know. I used to work for a McDonald's manual man. Um, and uh, Are we, are we going to carefully avoid explaining exactly what we're talking about? The people will figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Seems I like a champion with... and dunk them off. <laughs> <laughs> even with that, though, like, it's like there are useful techniques in it, but it's, not, it's not the end all be, be all of teaching. And he got really, he, I guess he got really offended when I said that. Um, like the Doug Lamov, like because I was just like, look, I'm like, it's not the pinnacle of teaching; it's your subject, and those things allow you to teach your subject well. Depending, I'm like, but also 
that 63rd technique is not the like, oh, I'm really going to get kids into university now. That 63rd technique is the key. Like, no. Do you know what it was? It was the speaking in full sentences when answering a question. That is the game changer that gets kids into college. I think you had a great line about that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that is the game changer that gets kids into college. <laughs> well played. Yes. Yeah. No, but, but I think you and Daniel... Um, yeah, it's the, the we. Uh, this is a phenomenon, obviously, of, of any situation, but but it's particularly notable when you enter Edu Twitter for the first time that people end up with what are objectively arbitrary associations of political positions, uh-huh. social positions, and educational positions, and then the assumption is, well, if you like this kind of teaching, you must think that CRT is a bad thing or that transgender children are a threat to to the rest of the mm-hmm. population pool. Um, and that both of you confuse confuse people's assumptions on that constantly, which is um, why you're so great. So. <clears throat> yeah, I posted something um, earlier. That <laughs> Matt called me a Tory. <laughs> I said Tory. <laughs> No, I talked to something earlier this week from Judith Butler when she she gave a really good interview about like J.K. Rowling and just mm. like the she was like she lives in a fantasy world like this inventing like trans trans uh trans women are gonna storm into the bathroom and like assault us and I'm like where what um yeah. but like that like I posted that and I was like this is a good article and then someone on Twitter was like you it's good to read because uh you see the naivete or because it's because you agree and I was like I agree with her and so yeah, it's, and, it's like, and I'm sure that that would have caused an intake of breath because again this is like absolute assumption that if well people assume that I mean I think Samuel Elliott is particularly fond of calling me a prog and assuming that I must like discovery learning because of my you know positions on various social issues it's like no I'm like an uber trad yeah you're more oh. trad than I am I'm the most trad in the world your A level course is so so restrictive compared to mine <laughs> what's what's your um excitingly open a-level course tell oh yeah you i think you allow more um more texture and whatnot. coursework is is free choice yeah no i'm not letting like, them you know, choose I'm, anything. T- I'm, t- I'm teaching this book for coursework <laughs> i'm teaching this book for coursework <laughs> like, why are you teaching anything for coursework <laughs> let them go out into the wide world and discover books for themselves I hope literally like forest school. I think we should combine those two things. Having watched a program about forest school, which was just jaw droppingly awful. Um, not the program, forest concept school. Concept of forest school or the school itself. <laughs> the concept of, of forest school and then watching it happen. So, but, but also people reflecting on it, like the kids going, this is really amazing because, you know, normally I would just be shown how to put up a tent, but here I've had to work out how to do it and we'd run out of mallets. So I'm using, <laughs> literally, I'm using a stick and I think it's working. Like, no. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Like I'm that, I don't, I don't agree with using kids also in like promoting a certain, a certain, um, what is it? A, like a view of like education. Like, well, the kids are, the kids like it. So I'm like, kids pretty much adapt to whatever you do to them. Yeah. So I think that there is, there's something that you said said Tabitha a few months ago, and you're like, it's um, if I wouldn't want this done to me as an adult, we shouldn't do it to kids. And I used to not agree with that um, when I was looking at America because it was just like you know, trad, 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 like whatever, mm-hmm. like do whatever I want to them. And then I'm like, no, because like as an adult, you have a certain feeling for how things should feel now, like you understand, and so we should be using our new like adult knowledge to say like you know this actually isn't something that we should be doing even though they'll adjust to it like it doesn't mean that it's the best thing to do um and so i've I've... that's a really useful point yeah kids are probably the worst people to be able to assess whether the situation they're in is right or not which Mm -hmm. sort of takes me to what i feel like is one of the hugest differences between say schools in london and schools in philadelphia where i lived which is that there are generally speaking no police in schools here no resource officers um, yeah, in that's it's, it's, it's school nice. safety. School agents. safety agents. Mm. <laughs> yeah. With their little badges. It's like, you know, the, uh, the, I, I always thought the most humiliating badge to wear in all of US public service must be the TSA badge until I saw school safety agents in New York. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, that's, that's a difference that I notice is that teachers are expected to help run the school. Um, it's like, it's, 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 I know that it probably seems weird, but it's just like, you just don't take 
place with your school. Like you can literally just stay in your room in America all day and that's it. Um, and that's what I did for a lot of my first year because one, my colleagues didn't like me. Um, but I, where was I, was I, I didn't have anything to do. So I just stayed in my room for my PPA, like, you know. Well, and then who's, so then the, the school resource officers and the, you know, whatever euphemism we're using that day, they're, they're basically doing the behavior management. Yes. In the... Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The TAs, um, the principal, the assistant principal and the behavior people. Um, mm. That's it. Like teachers aren't expected to help with that. And every now and then Americans complain that um, their teachers aren't respected and that it's difficult to break up fights. Yeah. Is if you have a lot of them and it's difficult to be respected if you're not present in the school. Yeah, yeah and, and you're so removed from the experience of it. Um, oh, yeah, I have a question based on uh, some terrible show I was watching the other day. And my mother, who's American, um, questioned, is it true that kids wander around the hallways with headphones in listening to music? Yes. Ah, it's well, that's uh, presumably some settings, most settings like mine, viciously police the wearing of the visibility of headphones, unless you're in the sixth form, in which case they can be visible in the sixth form IT suite and common room for three hours a day or whatnot. Yeah, uh, no, my school, we're actually pretty We, we allow them at break and lunch. Ah. Because um, yeah. we allow them at break and lunch, it does mean if you've got a lesson immediately after break and lunch, it's going to be... Hey Matt, take out your AirPods, please. Um, you know. Yeah, we just we don't allow any phones or AirPods. Like if we see them, we take them for two weeks. Two weeks. Two nice. weeks. Nice. Yeah. That's hardcore. Yeah. yeah. I was like, ooh, wow. I was like, okay. Yeah. We never see them. <laughs> Matt, Matt and, is going and, and, bringing the dab. First confiscation is end of the day. Second is end of the week. Third is end of the half term. We very rarely get up to third. Mm. Yeah, I think we have we have a really high success rate. Actually, the, the school I worked in before, which was a grammar school in Buckinghamshire, that's much more of an issue there. Um, I don't know why. Let's put it down to, to entitlement. Oh, I know why. Poor and poor. Why? Um, it's because grammar schools in Buckinghamshire often have really low expectations of anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you get down there. It's like, they'll do fine. We selected them. <laughs> And they've all got shooters. Daniel has earned his stripes in the Buckinghamshire system. Um, I just have to go to one of our sponsors again. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the sponsors of this show is Mal CPD, who I am subbing for today. If you struggle with people pleasing and find it a constant battle to manage different and difficult personalities, then why not challenge and empower your team through Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course, alternatively gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the Assertive Leadership and Emotionally Intelligent Leader course. All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. That's M-A-L-C-P-D.com. Hi again, guys. Um, I'm just looking back to the questions I told you I was going to ask you and see what I haven't. Oh, yeah. Daniel, has your opinion of American schools, discourse surrounding American schools, changed over the course of your friendship with Jasmine? Because obviously you spent so much time talking about, you spend a lot of time on US edu Twitter, which seems like self-harm on an epic scale. But um, yeah, thoughts? It's good fun. Um, I, I, I've always loved US edu Twitter because people there are properly mad and I'm always entertained <laughs> by mad people. Um, I mean, so I am... Um, uh, during my PGCE in my first school, um, I was really into a, um, a large, successful multi-academy trust that's very much modelled on the US charter school system. Um, and so I actually started off in education thinking that Americans were doing some things right. Um, mm. And it turns out even their successful schools aren't doing that much right. And the rest of their schools are awful. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there are exceptions. <laughs> you get yeah. To, uh, yeah, uh, uh, I, I get told off often for broad sweeping generalizations of America's terrible schools. Um, yeah, it's like, they're funny. The rule is that American schools are terrible. If you have a, if you happen to be in a school that's functional and kids actually learn, you're the exception. And I, I want, I want. Like my thing with American Twitter, which I'm like not involved in anymore because they've all blocked me now for being a white supremacist aligned, whatever. 
um, is it's just like, are you really trying to tell me that your school, like every single teacher, 100% of the time is 100% devoted to all the kids in your school? The answer is no. And I'm like, otherwise you wouldn't be on here complaining about everything. Like, stop, like, don't, stop trying to cover up what it's really like. It's like, schools suck. If you are the one teacher that's good, you're that, may, may might be that one teacher. It might be five of you in a school that actually try. Everyone else is coasting with their 90 minutes. And then, you know, your 12 banked in sick days from your, uh, your contract. Like, there's... It's my job. It's my job at this point to, to make all that sound much more reasonable. <laughs> I'm going to say, um, I think what Jasmine's telling us is that without a system of accountability through um, objectively assessed and moderated um, <laughs> testing, then there is no way to truly um, either check your own teaching and model progress and indeed organize and understand the curriculum properly. Um, yeah, so, uh, much, yeah, much better said than me. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. All right. All right. What else have I got here? Um... Oh, there's something we can talk about. Um, so if people who are listening, if you haven't seen the video already, it's uh, in Louisiana, there was like a group of 40 dads that came to police the school, basically, because um, there were so many fights that were going on. Um, and so 40 dads of children like basically came to the school and were like making breaking up fights and whatever. And because well, I haven't actually seen this video, I can't bear those those that. Oh, the kids are brawling. Like, it's an all-out brawl. So and... just just hundreds of fighting kids. Just Yes, for wow. multiple days. Like, it was... Very, 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 very heartwarming that there are 40 dads who stand yeah. in police. When I, was, when I was in, like, the American system, um, like, if I was back in America teaching in American school, I would have seen that, like, the dads coming in. I'm like, this is so great. Like, community involvement, community investment in the school. But now that I'm in a school that actually runs, um, it's just, like, I see that, and I'm like, where are the teachers? Yeah, why, 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 <laughs> why did the dads the have to come in? This isn't school. a happy ending. It's like, yeah, what like, the hell is going on? This isn't something to be proud of. Like, this. Can I, I just point out that Moomin, who is an edu dad as well as a teacher, is like proper beef. <laughs> 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 he's, he's liking it. He wants to get stuck in there. He'd be an edu dad lad sorting it all out. Uh, <laughs> Matt is saying. Why didn't the dads raise their kids not to brawl? Like, yeah, it's, it's the, all the fatherless homes and their grime music and oh, uh, yeah. yeah, and the violent <laughs> video games, <and> Stormzy. Ah, <laughs> uh, don't get me started on that. Yeah, uh, but no, like that's that's something that's shifted for me is thinking like things that are like heartwarming. I've I've always thought that like the teachers calling in from you know the COVID wards dying, zooming with mm. their like that's disgusting. Like yeah. eight year olds selling lemonade to pay for their cancer treatments disgusting but i would have seen the dad thing and been like yeah like this is this is good like it's good that families are involved and i'm like no like it makes teachers look pathetic well plus plus also it's it's a completely dysfunctional it ignores the role of the school in creating an environment in which there can be multi-day you know whole school beef it's like that that institution is broken and the children aren't broken the institution is broken uh jasper's like get wrecked <laughs> thank you matt <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I saw several people saying it was um it was a, a sort of abolitionist position that this is sort of you know like this is how you could manage things without the police and and I think actually your larger point there is like n that it should never have got to the level where you were talking about the police versus forty random dads breaking up mm -hmm. fights you know like, yeah it's like, I'm glad it's, that the police always, aren't there and also Amer American schools go between uh, zero involvement and the police and that's yeah. considered to be a sort yeah. of binary. It's like, you know, how about, you know, set them a detention, break it up? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I, I think um, it's it's the whole hammer and nail thing, right? If, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If you've got police on site, everything looks like a problem that can be solved with the police. Yeah. Which, yeah no, policing, literally using police to intervene in behaviour is just astonishing. Like, you should be able to manage your own behavior and you should be able to escalate appropriately within school functions without criminalizing. Um, well, and also I think, you know, I, I, you watch a lot of those confrontations and, um, and I used to talk about it with my colleagues and I think, you know, any random middle-aged teacher woman who otherwise has no particular, you know, fight management skills is better at de-escalating a conflict than 
an awful lot of these offices in U.S. schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, they're being called in for back chat and, um, you know, like you threw in a razor. Move, so they get pulled out of their chair yeah. and slammed to the ground. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, little kids. Uh, Matt's saying, I think it's just the U.S. Yeah. I mean, we, we do have an issue where, where you know, UK teachers will take a phrase like the school to prison pipeline and just assume it's hyperbole and metaphor. And it's like, no, it's very literal in the United States. You are literally being arrested in the classroom yeah. for back chatting your teacher. And now you have a criminal record. Like, yeah. That, I mean, I, yeah. When I was in school still, I saw a kid like arrested um, in school, like by the, by the school resource officer, like taken out in cuffs, um, like this little 14 year old kid. Um, it's like seared into my memory. He was like yelling at a teacher and he was, yeah. Um, mm. Matt's pointing out, and I was I was hoping someone would that, um, you know, they did have police in a previous school and also behaviour management. I think you know that the UK schools that do have community partnerships with police officers don't don't have the same phenomenon. Um, Matt's arguing. Yeah, no, I, I've, wor- I've worked in, um, uh, you know, I've worked most of my career in quite tough inner London schools, and we've pretty much always had a school police officer. And you do not go to the police officer to handle an issue of low-level disruption in your classroom mm. or any behaviour at all. Yeah, Matt just pointed out, like, we have the U.S. has a weird relationship with the police, and like that's it. It's just like I, it's, it's again, it's like what is what is the point of the teacher if a police officer has to do like the basic thing of your job? What is the point of a teacher in a school if forty dads from the community have to go and do your job? Like it's... I just keep laughing at the 40 dads thing. It's something about the number 42. It's so biblical. It's like yeah. the parable of the 40 dads <laughs> who stopped the beef at school. It's like, this is just dystopian in so many different ways. Right. I need to start wrapping us up any minute now. Uh, maybe one of you can define what Badger Ed is, which um, we've been annoying people online with for several months now. <laughs> I'm going to go to the no context Badger page and just read the. (laughs) Let's see. Badger Ed, no context Badger Ed. Um, Everyone, if you're listening, you can go ahead and follow it. Uh, No context tweets from full frontal Badgers, Badger Adjacents, and the Badger Curious. Um, If you see something, go ahead and do that. Badger Ed is a wonderful contortion of anarcho contrarians masquerading as educationalists. They like to challenge firmly held beliefs across edu spectrum. Threads begin as wildly thoughtful combo in English, but frequently descend into warped nocturnal in- inanity. Yeah. So that's Badger Ed. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it's all of the people who know that edu Twitter is actually a bit of a joke. <laughs> but who nevertheless can get involved like, yeah, in brawls that go on for days. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it, it's like, yeah, it's serious. We're talking about, you know, I think the most important function of the state, the education of children. Mm. Um, but also, like, some edgy Twitter wars are objectively funny. Raptor oh, Gate yeah. is never, ever not going to be funny. <laughs> and Biscuit Gates and um, uh, almost anything by John Cosgrove. Um, <laughs> so many gates, Lauren Donnie's saying. Yeah, I think um, for, for me personally, like, the to go back to to why I said you were both such kind of compelling social media teacher presences um, is because personally, I think this kind of arbitrary and and deliberately ludicrous association of of Badger Ed is pointing to the idea that we don't have to all line up in camps that say trad or prog, um, that that there can be chaotic, neutral alignment and unalignment and that actually we we don't belong to teams apart from team badger of course yeah which is a better team matt is a chaotic trad i'm sensibly trad like you know (laughs) 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 i don't know what i am i think um i think it's turning out i'm some sort of 19th century schoolmaster or something No, you're a trad lad you're on the edgy bus gotta bring the (laughs) 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 all right guys i'm gonna do final message from our sponsors and then have you um say goodbye to everyone yeah exactly one of our show sponsors is history hotline podcast the history hotline is the hottest thing for all things black history and beyond we're in the final part of black history month people a space to have honest conversations about black history and how it impacts the world we live in the history hotline podcast explores some of the facets of black history ignored by the mainstream your teachers and the textbooks check out the podcast by following the history hotline on all good podcast platforms i will just point out one um one 
check in the UK's favour over the US is that Black History Month in the US is February, the shortest month of the year, whereas here it's October, which has 31 days, though seven of them are half term. So (laughs) we need the the extra time to teach all of this stuff about Americans. (laughs) That is a subject for a different day. But yes, absolutely. All right. Thank you very much for joining in. Um, School mom. Matt is saying I'm a school mom. (laughs) And uh, it was lovely to talk to you. And I will hopefully see you in person on Friday. That's exciting. Okay. All right. Bye, everyone. See you next. In the pub, exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the only pub you, you will go to, which is the one right by your flat. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have the highest concentration of edgy Twitterers in the pub. <laughs> <laughs> and it has a stuffed badger, people. Just amazing. Right, playing you out. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.